0: Good morning, dear friends. Today is Wednesday, May 2nd in the year 2012. We are in the upper hamlet in the Stillwater Meditation Hall, in our French retreat. The other day we spoke about the practice as culture cultivation of the mind. We need to understand, we need to know how our mind operates in order to practice well. In Buddhism, psychology is something quite important Been many, many volumes written on Buddhist psychology. And in Buddhism, we speak of consciousness in terms of seeds, seeds, it's very interesting. There is the part of our consciousness that preserves all the seeds It's like like the hard drive in your computer, preserving all the data, all the information. In our consciousness, we have one part that we call the store. on the board of the circle with a curving line through the middle that represents our consciousness. And the lower part is called the store consciousness. In Sanskrit, it's called the alaya, A-L-A-Y-A. The store consciousness is a kind of field hiding or preserving all the seeds. We know very well we all have a seed called the seed of mindfulness. It's buried here, down in the store consciousness. And with the practice of mindfulness, we can make that seed grow. We know that the seed of mindfulness is a source of happiness. Because with mindfulness, we can get in touch with the wonders of life that can nourish us, that can heal us, give us a lot of joy. So that's why mindfulness is a source of happiness and we all have the seed of mindfulness in us. The practice helps us to grow that seed, and every time we need the energy of mindfulness, we can touch that seed, and the energy of mindfulness is there for us. And we also have a seed of concentration, We have the seed of insight and all of those are good seeds, positive seeds. And we call them our Buddha nature, our awakened nature. We don't have to go looking elsewhere. That nature is there in our own store consciousness. There are also negative seeds such as jealousy fear, despair, also in the store consciousness. (laughs) And the store
1: consciousness,
0: this part of the consciousness that we call the store is sometimes called the... Totality of the seeds Sarva, Sarva Bijaka S A R V A B I J A K A Sarva means the totality Bija is the seeds and here's how you write it in Chinese. It's another name for the store consciousness. And the store consciousness is in some way like the cellar of our house. It's the place where we keep a lot of things. And up Upstairs, the upper part of the circle of our consciousness is like the ground floor, the living room. So in Buddhist psychology, it's called the mind consciousness. (laughs) And so in the mind consciousness the consciousness is more immediate, and in the store consciousness, things are more buried. But there are some very precious things in the store consciousness. There's a Buddha there. The Kingdom of God is there. But we don't realize it. So the ground floor, the living room, is up here, and down below, basement. When there's a negative seed, like anger, that is touched, we've just done something, we've just said something, or someone else has, that touches the seed of anger. If that seed is big enough, it manifests immediately up in the level of the mind consciousness, the mind as, as a zone of energy that we call anger. In the store consciousness, it's called the seed, bija. Here's the Chinese way to write it. And when the seed manifests up in the mind, mind consciousness, we call it a mental formation. So, when the seed of anger manifests up in the mind consciousness, the landscape of the mind is not so beautiful anymore. It's not pleasant. (laughs) And if we don't know how to handle this, we just keep on suffering. So, we need to know, we need to know what to do when something like anger manifests, when something like despair manifests. If we let the anger install itself, establish itself for a long time in the mind consciousness, then down below, the seed is strengthened. And that's dangerous. That's why we need to learn methods to help the mental formation of anger to withdraw and return as soon as possible to its original place, sleeping in the store consciousness. That is part of our practice called right diligence, one of the eight elements of the Noble Eightfold Path. In the practice, we know an affliction manifests in the mind consciousness, that when that happens, we need to take action right away. We shouldn't allow ourselves to be drowned in these energies like anger, despair, doubt, So the method recommended by the Buddha is to invite another seed to come, to take care. Mindfulness is the seed we want to choose. So if we begin breathing, and we bring our attention to our breath, we we are inviting the seed of mindfulness to manifest. It takes about two or three seconds for the seed of mindfulness to manifest as an energy, and then there it is, Now, in our living room, we have two kinds of energy. First of all, the energy of anger, and secondly, the energy of mindfulness. And mindfulness is there not to fight, to suppress our anger. Meditation is not for transforming ourselves into a battlefield where the good is battling against evil. You are your mindfulness and you are also your anger. No violence between. So the role of mindfulness, first of all, is to recognize, bare recognition, pure and simple recognition of the anger. My dear little anger, I know you're there and I'm going to take care of you. Like a big brother taking care of a little brother, like a mom taking care of her crying baby, with a lot of tenderness, non-violence. Meditation is characterized by non-violence and non-duality, non-dualism non-duality, because you recognize the fact that you are the mindfulness, but you are also the anger. We should not do violence to ourselves, so we don't try to suppress, we don't fight non-violence. So the first role of the mindfulness is to recognize the presence of the anger. Dear anger, my dear little anger, I know that you are there. I will take care of you. Pure and simple recognition of the existence of the anger. Because mindfulness is the energy that can help us to be aware of what's going on. What's going on is that the anger of, the energy of anger has just manifested. Secondly, the energy of mindfulness can embrace that anger with a lot of tenderness. Just as the sun embraces a lotus flower, no violence, just an embrace When a mom hears her baby crying, she knows. The most important thing for her to do in the present moment is to put down her things and stop her work, go into the baby's room. And the first thing she does is pick up the baby and take the baby into her arms, cradle the baby in her own arms. And that's exactly what a practitioner should do when a suffering manifests. Anger or despair or confusion fear. Right away we need to do walking meditation or mindful breathing to be able to generate the second energy. And that second energy serves you in recognizing and embracing the first energy, and after some minutes you have a relief. We have to train ourselves like that. (laughs) And if you can do this with yourself, you can also help the other person to do the same thing. You notice that the other person is overwhelmed with fear, with anger. And you can offer your mindfulness to support that person to do what you've done, to recognize that anger, that suffering, and to embrace it. You're there for him. You're there for her. You help that person to do that. So, in a sangha, we help each other in this practice. And another thing that you can do is help help that mental formation to go back down to its original location in the store consciousness. The easiest way is by inviting a seed that has the opposite nature, like compassion, because you have a seed of compassion in you, and if the seed of compassion is touched, it manifests as a mental formation. Compassion manifests and it can act to neutralize a little bit the anger. And compassion, when it's manifesting in our mind consciousness, can help you right away to suffer less. When compassion is in our heart, we suffer less right away. And you know very well that you have a seed of compassion. And if you do meditation on compassion every day, then that seed will grow. With a big seed of compassion, you can make use of the energy of compassion every day in order not to suffer, in order to be able to act and to speak in such a way that can remove suffering and establish happiness. So this is kind of like a mini disc, a disc, or a CD. If you are playing yourself some music and a piece of music you're listening to, you don't like it, why keep listening? Change
1: the CD. You
0: want to invite the compassion CD to come out. And this is exactly what the Buddha recommended. We need to change the CD. We shouldn't just go on listening to the old one. And you have good CDs. You have compassion. You have love. You have joy. You have have happiness. You have non-discrimination. You have all kinds of good seeds in you. And if you practice every day, those seeds become stronger. And whenever you need their help, just invite them up very easily. So, so diligence. diligence, diligence, right diligence, that's exactly that. It's not remaining the victim of a negative. Mental formation, we need to do something. A good practitioner knows exactly what to do to change that CD. So there are four aspects to the practice of right diligence. The first aspect of the practice of Right Diligence is that with the negative seeds, we want to arrange so that they can stay sleeping quietly in this door consciousness. We don't give them a chance to come up and manifest. A good practitioner organizes her life so that the negative seeds are not being watered every day. If you live in an environment full of anger, of despair, the negative seeds will have a lot of opportunities to be watered. So you need to choose an environment where the negative seeds in you will not be watered every day. And you may speak to your partner and you try to make arrangements kind of like a happiness treaty, a peace treaty between you and him, between you and her, and here's what you say, darling, you know I have negative seeds in me. I have a seed of anger, I have a seed of jealousy, and if you say something to water that seed, I will suffer, and when I suffer, you won't be able to be happy either, so please, Don't water my negative (laughs) seeds. (laughs) And you know, darling, I know that you have those seeds too, and I promise not to water those seeds in you. And then we sign, (laughs) we sign the contract. So that is the first aspect of this practice of right diligence, not to water the negative seeds. We can do it ourselves, and we help the other person to do it. We need a peace treaty, a happiness treaty. We should not give those seeds a chance to manifest, because when they manifest, we suffer, and down in the store consciousness, the seed becomes even stronger. not giving the negative seeds a chance. Second aspect, if it happens that the negative seed has already manifested as a mental formation, do something right away to help the seed, to help the mental formation to go back down into its... Form as a seed sleeping in the store consciousness, as soon as possible. And you can do that by inviting the good seeds to manifest. When you are listening to a Dharma talk, for example, you're watering many good seeds in yourself. And when those good seeds manifest up in your mind-consciousness, they help the negative seeds to go back down into their original place as seeds. And we can help the other person to do this. When we notice that the other person is caught in a negative mental formation like anger, despair, We should do something to help that person to get out so we can look at that person and we can recognize the good seeds in her, in him. And we can say something to water those good seeds. And the effect may be quite immediate. The other person can get out very quickly because you have helped him to water the good seeds inside. So, the first aspect of the practice of our diligence, not giving the negative seeds a chance to be watered and manifest. The second is when they have already manifested, we look for a way to help them go back down to their seed form. The third aspect of this practice, helping the good seeds to manifest. You have good seeds, why not invite them to
1: manifest?
0: When you read a book about the dharma, when you have a sharing, a discussion about compassion, about the practice, you water the good seeds in yourself and you water the good seeds in the other person. And during this retreat, that's all we're doing. We're watering the good seeds in ourselves and we're watering the good seeds in other people. So, we are aware of the fact that we have good seeds, including the seed of the Kingdom of God. The Kingdom of God is available in the present moment. So, if we have mindfulness, we know that we can walk in the Kingdom. And every moment in the kingdom can heal and nourish us. What have we done with our life? Many of us may have pursued a diploma, a job, making a lot of money, but what's most important is to have the ability to really live our life with the practice of mindfulness. We can release, we can drop our anxiety, our fear. We can establish ourselves in the present moment to be able to touch deeply the wonders of life that belong to the Kingdom of God, to the Pure Land of the Buddha and live deeply with joy every moment. Walking meditation is one of the ways of helping ourselves to do that. The kingdom of God is now or never. (coughs) And you yourself, you are part of the kingdom. The kingdom is in you. In the Gospel, the Kingdom of God is described as a kind of seed, a mustard seed. Not only in Buddhism we speak of seeds, but also, Christianity also speaks about seeds, sowing the seeds. So, this third practice, you need to give the good seeds in you every chance to manifest. And while they're manifesting in the mind consciousness, they make the landscape very pleasant, very wonderful for your happiness and for the happiness of those you love. That's the practice, and it's easy. It's doable. The practitioner is an artist. He knows how to handle the manifestation of the different seeds. Giving every opportunity for the good seeds, and the fourth aspect of the practice, when a good seed is manifesting, seek to keep it up as long as possible up in the mind-consciousness. If love and joy are manifesting in our mind, we want to do everything possible to keep those good mental formations in the living room of our consciousness for our happiness and for the happiness of our loved ones. And during that time, While that's going on, the seed down in the store consciousness also has the chance to grow larger. So in Buddhism, that's what we call transformation at the base. Transformation at the base is not happening up in the mind consciousness. It's going on in the store consciousness. And if you help, If you practice these four aspects of right diligence, then you can reduce the size of the negative seeds and you can grow the good seeds in you bigger. That is called transformation at the base. And the store consciousness, even while you sleep, it's still working the store consciousness has the function of maintaining, preserving all the seeds, receiving all the information, experiences. It can process the information, learn and transform. And it can we meditate not just with our mind consciousness, but also with our store consciousness. So if a good seed has the chance to manifest, we try our best to keep it in the mind consciousness as a mental formation as long as possible for our own happiness and for the happiness of the other person and also giving the seed a chance to grow larger in the store consciousness, like the seed of non-discrimination, the seed of joy, the seed of happiness. When I was a novice monk, I had to learn by heart the names of all these seeds or mental formations. In my tradition of Buddhism, well, the different schools of Buddhism, they all teach about the seeds. And in our tradition, we say there are around 50 of these seeds. And we have to call them by their name. So that any time a seed is manifesting, we can call it by its true name. If it is jealousy, we know this is jealousy. Breathing in, I know that jealousy has just manifested in me. I smile to my jealousy. I embrace my jealousy. I asked Brother Fap Lee to copy the list of the mental formations. Brother Papali, is it ready? No? (laughs) Not ready? (coughs) Would it be possible to have it tomorrow or the day after? Okay. So the fourth aspect of the practice is to help good mental formations to remain as long as possible, that the joy remains. A practitioner knows how to do that. we talk about watering. Watering is what we do every day. We want to water just the good seeds. We don't want to water the negative seeds. So our practice is called Selective Watering. So when we sign that peace treaty, we know how to water the seeds that are in us and the seeds in the other person. I remember about 20 years ago there was a couple who came to Plum Village from Bordeaux. And that day we were celebrating the Buddha's birthday, Vesak, right about this time of year. And I was giving a dharma talk about watering the good seeds. And I noticed the lady of this couple, she cried through the whole dharma talk. And after the dharma talk, I went up to the husband And all I said was a few words. My friend, I think your flower needs a little watering. (laughs) That's all I said. He understood right away. So after they had lunch, and they left Plum Village. They were riding back to Bordeaux, it takes about an hour, an hour and a half. So while they were driving, he practiced watering her good seeds. And when the couple arrived back at home, the wife was completely transformed, very joyful. The children were very surprised. The husband knew the practice, but he wasn't practicing. He needed a teacher or a brother or sister in the practice to remind him of the practice. And he did it very well. It took just a few minutes It only takes a few minutes to transform somebody, somebody's feeling. You can water the good seeds right away, it just takes a few minutes and right away the situation can change. the negative seeds, the seeds of despair, of anger. If we let them be watered several times a day, they will become too big. And they bring a lot of suffering. When they are powerful, they try to force the door open to get up into that living room. We're up in our living room, we're trying to suppress them. But at night, in our dreams, there they are. Our practice is to Our usual practice is to try to establish a kind of embargo, like a block, a blockade between the mind consciousness and the store consciousness, so that those negative energies can never come up into the mind. That's a defense mechanism. You know that if those things come up into the the living room, the mind consciousness, you will suffer. So you try to suppress them, force them back down. And how do you do that with consumption? It may not be eating food. You're not even hungry, but you go and eat something to to forget, to avoid the pain in you, because you don't know how to handle that emptiness, that loneliness. So, eating is one way of suppressing pain and suffering. Or you turn on the TV, and even if the program is not at all interesting, you're not capable of turning it off. Because you're afraid if you turn that television off, those feelings will take you over. You go and make a phone call, you go shopping, you do everything. To suppress, to prevent your pain from coming into your mind consciousness. It's a blockade, repression, and most of us follow this kind of practice. We consume, not because we need, we consume because we're afraid of what's right there in our store consciousness. And we consume so that we can cover over with layers and layers what's down in us. And this consumptive society is a reflection of this. We consume to try and forget, but at night we don't have anything to consume and then our nightmares come. So, what the Buddha suggested was to remove this blockade. We should allow our suffering to circulate so that we can recognize it and embrace it. The practice consists of recognizing suffering and embracing suffering. That's the second aspect of the Right Diligence practice. (coughs) If we don't know this practice, we run the risk of being drowned by our suffering, but if we know the practice, we know what to do. With the practice of mindful breathing, mindful walking, we can always generate the energy of mindfulness. And every time a suffering manifests, we have the energy of mindfulness that can recognize and embrace. The mom, when her baby's crying, she takes the baby into her arms with a lot of gentleness. She may not even know yet what's wrong, but the mere fact of taking the baby into her arms with this gentleness can already bring the relief to the baby. because that energy of gentleness has already begun to penetrate into the child's body and mind. It's just like the sunlight embracing a lotus flower. The light doesn't only travel around the flower, those photons actually penetrate into the flower. That's why one hour later the lotus has to open. It's the same thing here. Mindfulness is the sunlight, and our suffering is the flower. The sun of our mindfulness embraces tenderly and penetrates little by little into that zone of suffering, and that's how the relief becomes possible after just a few moments. After two or three minutes, the mom will find out what it is that's going wrong with her baby. With mindfulness and concentration, we can look and see the nature and the roots of the ill-being, of the suffering, and we can take care of it easily. (laughs) So we should not be afraid of our suffering, we should equip ourselves with the energy of mindfulness, and we can come back home to ourselves without fear to take care of the suffering in us. If we continue to maintain that embargo, that blockade, We are creating a situation of bad circulation. We don't allow the energies to circulate. Repression. Suppression. creates a situation of poor circulation. And poor circulation in our consciousness can lead to mental problems. Symptoms of mental illness, depression, psychosis, it's quite dangerous. So we need to listen to the Buddha Remove the blockade and allow the pain to come up. And if you know how to recognize and embrace the pain, then you can bring a relief. And after that, the pain is weakened. 10%, 5%, 15% and it will go back down to its place as a seed in the base, the store consciousness. So we may conceive of mindfulness as a kind of bath. We give our pain a bath of mindfulness. You embrace your pain with mindfulness. And after receiving that bath of mindfulness, it loses some of its power, some of its force, and you get some relief. And after that, it will return to its place. And in this way, next time the seed manifests, you give it another bath of mindfulness and it loses a little bit more of its power and strength. And if you continue, you don't have to be afraid of your suffering anymore. You restore the good circulation in your consciousness, in your psyche, and the symptoms of mental illness may disappear. Good circulation in the consciousness is a very good and important thing. So we should not be afraid. We should practice so that this energy of mindfulness and concentration is ready for us to take care of our suffering and re-establish a good circulation in our consciousness. And if you can do this for yourself, you can help the other person to do the same. A beginner in the practice, we may see that our mindfulness and concentration are not yet strong enough to be able to recognize and embrace our pain. So that means we need the energy of the group. That's why we need a sangha, a community of practice, in which each person knows how to breathe, how to walk, how to sit, in such a way that they can generate the energy of mindfulness. So if we come to a sangha, we can take advantage of that collective energy to be able to recognize and embrace our anger, our fear, and all our seeds. Dear sangha, dear brothers and sisters in the practice, here is my pain, here is my despair. Please help me to embrace it, and you can make use of that collective energy. And that's why in Buddhism we speak of taking refuge in the Sangha. Taking refuge in the Sangha is not a matter of faith, but of practice, because the Sangha can give you that collective energy that brings about transformation and healing. That's why every practitioner should try their best to build a sangha at home, in their hometown, in order to keep the practice going. The mind consciousness is always working, but there are some moments when it stops. The mind consciousness can operate alone. with other consciousnesses. In association, there are the five other consciousnesses, eye consciousness, nose consciousness, tongue consciousness, ear consciousness, and touch, touch, bodily consciousness. So the mind consciousness can function in association with vision, scent, hearing. That's called operating in association. Or the mind consciousness can operate alone. That means the five sense doors are closed and the mind consciousness operates alone. be absorbed in concentration, that's another function of the mind consciousness. In deep concentration, the mind no longer hears or sees, it doesn't receive any more information from outside, or from the store consciousness inside. There are seeds that may be trying to enter the mind consciousness. Outside there may be sounds, sights that could enter the consciousness. But the mind consciousness can be in concentration and not receiving those inputs. So so far the three ways of operating we've spoken about are alone, in association, and in concentration. The fourth is in dispersion, no concentration. the mind may also be in a state of psychosis. That's the fifth mode. Psychosis. I was writing the names in Chinese. There are also moments when the mind consciousness entirely stops operating. There is concentration, a concentration in which the mind completely stops operating. When you sleep without dreaming, the mind stops operating mind-consciousness. There's also operating in dreams. So the sixth is in dreaming. And between the mind consciousness and the store consciousness, there's actually another consciousness. And this one is called Manas. M-A-N-A-S. It's kind of like the me, the ego. The illusion of self and The mind-consciousness relies on it to operate. The self is fabricated by a series of seeds, negative seeds. Among them is discrimination, the seed of discriminating between what's me and what's not me. I'm not you, you're not me. The self, the me, it's a kind of attachment to an illusory notion. A wrong perception of reality. We have the tendency to think, I am a distinct person, I can exist. Independently, I don't need other people or other things. Like a flower saying, I can exist all by myself, I don't need anything, I don't need the sun, I don't need clouds, things like that. This is the ignorance of interbeing. Manas is characterized by four qualities has four characteristics. The first is the pursuit of pleasure. Manas is always dreaming of pleasures. Always seeking pleasures. That is its nature, seeking pleasure. Secondly, avoiding suffering, avoiding discomfort. Manas is always trying to get away from discomfort I don't want to touch those things. Manas is what has been motivating you to try and set up that blockade. And it is the mind that is trying to look deeply into manas, to analyze, to understand what is manas. What is this tendency to pursue pleasure, to run away from pain? Manas is oblivious to the dangers inherent in pleasure-seeking, ignorant does not see the dangers of pleasure-seeking. It wants to consume, but it doesn't see the dangers. Imagine a fisherman throws out a line. The bait is so seductive and the fish doesn't know, there's a hook inside. If the fish knows there's a hook in the bait, he's not gonna bite it. So, manas wants to pursue pleasure doesn't see the dangers inherent in the pleasure-seeking. And fourth, manas doesn't see the benefits that may come from something that's painful. We have already meditated on the mud of suffering. Suffering is the compost that we need to make the flower. Suffering is a non happiness element necessary to produce happiness. Understanding of suffering will bring compassion, which is a basic element of happiness. So, manas is always seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, ignoring the dangers of seeking pleasure, and ignoring the benefits of something that may be painful. But the mind consciousness, through meditation, can see. and try to change these wrong perceptions, deep in our consciousness. So the role of the mind consciousness is to look deeply and to reveal to Manas what can be positive in the suffering. Suffering is necessary, is indispensable to happiness just like the right is necessary to the left. We will soon be voting in the runoff election between the two main presidential candidates. Manas ignores, does not see, The Law of Moderation doesn't recognize the Law of Moderation. That's why the mind consciousness needs to help offer light so that manas can know So practice is for transforming these negative characteristics of manas. And with the practice, manas will be transformed into a kind of wisdom that we call the wisdom of non-discrimination. Manas is discrimination, ignorance. Delusion. The Wisdom of Non Nirvikalpa Discrimination. Nirvikalpa to N I R V I K A L P A J N A N A. Nana is wisdom. Vikalpa is discrimination. Nir is absence. Is absence the wisdom of non-discrimination. And this is something that we can conceive of. When there's no discrimination, then love is possible very quickly. Peace is possible very quickly. Look at my two hands. This hand on the right is not the same as the one on the left. This one I call the right, this one I call the left. But in the wisdom... Wisdom knows that each is in the other. My right hand has done a lot of things. It has written many poems for me, hundreds and hundreds. And always with a pen, never on a typewriter or a computer, except one poem. One day, I had a poem coming up and I had to deliver it, but no, I had no pen. I was at a friend's house, he had a typewriter. And so I took an old used envelope And that poem I typed with my two hands. The little buffalo chasing after the sun. That's the name of the poem. All the other poems were written by this right hand. My right hand can do a lot of other things. Invite the bell to sound, do calligraphy, But it does not have a superiority complex towards my left hand. It never says, left hand, you're really good for nothing. And the left hand has no complex of inferiority, it never suffers. Because it has the wisdom of non-discrimination. That's why my two hands are always perfectly together with a lot of happiness and cooperation. So the wisdom of non-discrimination is in us. One day I was trying to hang a picture on the wall. My left hand was holding the nail and my right hand was holding the hammer. That morning, I wasn't so lucky. Instead of hitting the nail, I hammered on my left hand. Right away, my right hand put the hammer down and embraced and took care of my left hand. Just as if it were taking care of its own self. Because the right hand knows I am the right hand, but I am also the left hand. My left hand's suffering is also my suffering. The left hand's happiness is my happiness. And so, with that spirit, you can also act. The suffering of others is your own suffering. Your happiness is the other person's happiness. There's no discrimination. In the Buddha's teaching, non-discrimination is a key element of happiness and of true love. We need to practice for that element of true love to be there in our relationships. First of all, the four elements of true love, the first is loving-kindness and the second is compassion, the third is joy, and the fourth is non-discrimination. In love there is no more separation discrimination. Suffering is no longer seen as an individual matter and neither is happiness. So these are a wisdom that we need to cultivate, the wisdom of non-discrimination for our Happiness in relationships. So the left hand wasn't angry at my right hand that day. It didn't say, Right hand, you have done me wrong. I want justice. (laughs) Give me that hammer. My left hand didn't say anything like that because the wisdom of non-discrimination is there in both of my hands. So with the practice of meditation, we can transform manas. We can establish the wisdom of non discrimination, of interbeing. And there we have true happiness. In Plum Village in the past, we've invited groups of Palestinians and Israelis to come here and practice with us. The practice of deep listening, of loving speech, was very important to this. During the first week, the practice was for recognizing the suffering and embracing the suffering within each person. Breathing, walking to be in touch with the good things in life that are in us and around us. And starting with the second week, we initiated them in the practice of listening deeply, a group, would be invited to come together. Each person was invited to express their pain, their despair, using language that can help the other people hear. When we listen, if we don't know how to listen, then what the other person says, may water seeds of anger, of irritation. And that's why we need to try to speak with loving words. That's the practice of the fourth mindfulness training. You can say everything in your heart, all of your suffering, Despair, children, adults. You can say everything and everyone else does their best to listen. Everyone practices deep, compassionate listening. We listen with only one aim, to give the other person or the other side or group a chance to suffer less. They need to express themselves, and if we know how to listen we can bring a relief and the other person or the other group can suffer less. That's what we call mindfulness of compassion. You listen to the other person, your partner, your son, You know that person has a lot of suffering inside, and you play the role of the bodhisattva, of deep listening, to help that person to suffer less. And you can practice mindfulness of compassion. And this is how you say to yourself, I am listening with only one aim, one sole aim, and that is to help the other person to express himself, herself, in order to suffer less. We need to maintain that awareness, keep it alive during the entire time that we listen. So even if the other person says things that are not true, we don't interrupt. You just say to yourself, in a few days, I will have an opportunity to provide him or her with some more information to correct the wrong perceptions, but not now, not right now. Right now is only for listening. And if you are protected by mindfulness of compassion, then the seeds of irritation, of anger in you will not be touched. The Bodhisattva is protecting you, the Bodhisattva in the form of the energy of compassion. And the whole time you listen, you say to yourself, I am listening with the sole purpose of helping the other person to express himself, herself, in order to suffer less. Only for that, you just breathe and you keep that awareness, that consciousness alive and you can listen for one hour or more. And after one week of this practice, there is a transformation. Anyone can see. When you listen in this way, you can recognize the suffering in the other person, in the other group, and you realize his, her, their suffering, is actually very much like your own. They suffer from the same things that you do. And maybe for the first time you can look at that person with the eyes of compassion. And when you can look at that person with the eyes of compassion, you suffer less right away. And when that person receives your look, he or she also suffers less right away. You recognize that there is suffering in him or in her. And that's why you no longer have any urge to punish. When we suffer, we want to suffer less and sometimes We think if we punish the other person, we make them suffer, then that'll make us suffer less. But this kind of escalation never works. (laughs) So, in each one of our retreats, the practice of deep listening and loving speech always brings reconciliation. This practice restores communication and brings about the miracle of reconciliation. It happens all the time in our retreats. And even if the other person you want to reconcile with isn't in the retreat, you can use your cell phone to practice. There are many practitioners who have witnessed success in this. practicing a loving speech. There was one man who said to me this, Tai, before this retreat, I couldn't have believed that I would be able to speak to my father in such a way, but after five days of the retreat, the good seeds were watered in me. And last night, I called my dad and all of a sudden, I found it was possible for me to talk to him in a loving way. And he opened his heart, we talked, and we've been reconciled. That happens all the time in our retreats. We just need a few days. to recognize the suffering in the other person, to use loving speech and help the other person to express himself or herself to suffer less. So the fourth mindfulness training is a wonderful tool for restoring communication and promoting reconciliation. Dear friends, Plum Village, is a kind of flower. I remember in 1939 when I was 13 years old, in my province I saw young Vietnamese, 20 years old, who were forced by France to work in factories, The French needed workers. France was in the war against Germany, and I saw young Vietnamese forced to labor in factories to produce weapons and guns. There was a lot of suffering. And from 1947, the war between the Vietnamese resistance and the French also caused a lot of damage, a lot of suffering. Tens of thousands of French came to Vietnam to kill and be killed. 20, French were killed, and many Vietnamese. In 1954, I was already a Dharma teacher at the Buddhist Institute in Saigon, and the Geneva Accords had been signed. And the French soldiers, who had survived this war, began to withdraw from Vietnam. And a few years later... uh, And before they left, some of them came to my temple to say goodbye. I remember in 1947, two young French soldiers came to our root temple where I was a novice, and they took all our rice. All the rice in our temple, they were very thin and they had malaria. I don't know if those young French soldiers are still alive today or not. It's been seventy eighty years now. When we came to this place, the energy was very tense. This is a place where Germans had shot down. Many French people right here on this land, they had shot a number of French resistance fighters. We know the vietnam the Vietnam War was called by French intellectuals a dirty war. to continue the war, and so it it had to get the United States to come along to finish the war. In 1951,
1: 52,
0: the U.S. started taking over the funding of the war. Every day took so much money. We used arms, weapons, guns from the Chinese communists and the Soviet communists and on the other side the other side was fighting to against communism and there was so much suffering. When we came here to Tanakh to start building this practice center, it was very difficult. The atmosphere was very heavy. We heard that Germans had executed a lot of French resistance fighters here. They put French resistance fighters in a church not far from here and burned it. We organized sessions of prayer here. We practiced sitting meditation, walking meditation. We tried to generate the energy of compassion, of understanding. French people came, German people came, and every summer, many people came from all over in the world, We have about 50 different nationalities of practitioners who come here in the summer. It was very moving to see French, Germans doing walking meditation together, and Vietnamese too. We transformed the suffering into joy and peace. We used the mud of suffering, of violence to build brotherhood, sisterhood, peace and happiness. It's been 30 years since we began practicing here. Today, we celebrate the 30th anniversary of Plum Village. You can see The Plum Village is a kind of flower and we need mud to nourish flowers. Now we have practice centers a little bit everywhere in the world, including Germany, the European Institute of Applied Buddhism. We have significant practice centers in the United States, Hong Kong, Thailand, everywhere. We have lay sanghas all over the place, thousands of sanghas. In France, there are hundreds of sanghas. Plum Village is everywhere now. Today, we are going to practice walking meditation together down to the Shen ha Temple, the foot of the mountain, and we will celebrate the peace that we're building together. This lotus flower that has been made from a lot of mud of suffering. The suffering of Vietnamese, the suffering of French, the suffering of Germans, the suffering of Americans, the suffering of Tunisians, Moroccans, etc. Brotherhood and sisterhood is what we are celebrating. Liberty, equality, and brotherhood, sisterhood, fraternity. That's the slogan of the French Republic. This is brotherhood and sisterhood. That's what Plum Village is for, for building brotherhood and sisterhood. So enjoy your walk. And down in Zanah we will have a picnic and a calligraphy exhibition.